Are you looking for truth from God's word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Clarity Christian College, formerly known as Florida Bible College. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. The second issue is this. While it doesn't have a lot of verses on telling you this is how you are, or this is for what you are to pray for another person, as a command might be. What I have found in Scripture, that there are a lot of principles about prayer. Where that it's not just this is what you are to pray for other people, but this is how you are to pray for other people. So there's basically three things we are told to pray for them, and a whole lot of how we're to pray just in general. Now, when I say that, some of you like to live in a box, and you're thinking, oh, these are the only three things I can pray for another person. The rest of it, no need to pray. I won't go there. I don't think that's an exegetical solution, all right? But just to be clear, there's the three, and I'll give you those later. But there's a lot of the principles in how you can pray. And you know what else I love? The Lord has given us so many Old and New Testament examples of people praying. Now, this series is not going to be an exhaustive series purely on how to pray. I, I, am, I, I want it to be on when others need prayer, how do you pray for another person? And so I'm, I'm trying not to make it too formulistic, but at the same time I want to give you some pegs that you can hang on to. So one of the ways I thought I could do that would be perhaps by using a question and answer format. I don't often like to do that because you could reword questions and it would change the answer. And when do you quit answering questions? And sometimes some questions are kind of overlapping and they would be answered differently. But for you to have some place to begin, I'm going to do a question and answer fashion, hoping that it will help you. And I'm really um, kind of out of my comfort zone because I prefer to teach the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, sometimes word by word. I believe it's healthy to do that because um, it's good to have the entire meal and you do this, 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 and this. And this way we prevent problems. Other times, though, when we are really in need of special knowledge or we're struggling with something, I don't go to my medicine cabinet when I'm ill and open my medicine cabinet and I start with these pills and then I eat the next pill and the next pill and I go through all the shelves until I'm done, all in order. I don't do that. When I have a headache, I grab that which is going to help my headache. It will be biblical. I, I pray with all my heart. I've used every sound hermeneutical principle to make sure that you will have it as accurate as possible. I want to let you know, those who are listening on tape or radio, internet, whatever, write me, email me with thoughts, questions, input, any ideas. I don't know where this is all going to go later on. I don't want to, be, I don't want to over-dramatize this, but I do want it to be as thorough as it can be with the time that we have. Are you okay? You ready to go? All right, let's go with question number one. Question number one is, what is intercessory prayer? Now, that word intercessory or intercession or intercede is probably a word that you rarely have used, probably not used at all. But in prayer, that is a word that is found in Scripture regarding interceding. And so I want to talk about intercessory prayer. But for those of you that are learning about prayer, there are a lot of other terms for prayer. Some prayer would be petitions. Other times in Scripture, it's the word requests. Other times it's supplications. Sometimes it's even said prayers could be a way of thanksgiving. And you could probably throw in a praise dynamic in there that would also be a part of prayer. So there's different words. I personally believe that there are different words and each word takes on a little different nuance of meaning so that when you have all of them put together, you're going to get a better composite picture of what prayer is. 
But I do believe each one can stand alone because there's great teaching under each kind, whether it's supplication, intercession, prayers, thanksgiving, etc. I'm choosing to use intercession. And the reason I want to spend our time this week and next week and maybe the week after that on intercession is because first, we don't know a lot about intercession. And when we study intercession, we're going to find that intercession is probably the closest of all the words used about prayer to describe praying on the behalf of or praying for other people. And that's why I wanted to cover this on intercession for you all. So what is intercession? I'm going to give you a man's definition, but the definition is really coming from a gleaning of all the verses. So just listen to this. It goes like this. What is intercessory prayer? Intercession is the act of praying on behalf of someone else that needs help from Almighty God to be merciful and gracious unto someone else and not based on the person just praying. Intercession is the act of praying on the behalf of someone else that needs help from Almighty God to be merciful and gracious unto someone else and not yourself. In most cases, it is prayer for those whose situations or circumstances need the mercy and grace of God's immediate attention. Which you don't want to forget that. We're asking for God's immediate attention. The circumstances is so difficult, so challenging, they need God right then. Now some of you will want to have problem resolved, give them money, get them a job, heal them of cancer. And, and, and that could be part of it. But I would like to raise you as Christians up a little higher because Scripture rarely, if ever, talks about the byproducts of our outside problems, but more of the inner issues that we have. So sometimes when I think of our dear missionaries, the Custers, yes, they need a house. I don't know what their insurance is totally going to cover. I don't know about all the things they're going through, but one thing I do know is they need to have patience right now. They need to have long-suffering right now. They need to experience that the wellness that's found in God, that there's joy in the midst of rubble. They need to see the hand of the supernatural begin to work in some special way on the inside going outside. That they would realize that all their possessions are found in the person of Christ, in their inheritance that they will never lose that's found in Christ. And that all the power that they need to go through this with a sense of joy and wisdom and discernment, not denial, is going to come from the Holy Spirit. And it's available to them just like that, freely completely and sometimes even overwhelmingly for them. Those are the kind of prayers they need right now to go through this. And then the rest of that stuff, it seems like how the Lord just kind of takes care of the rest because he wants the inside to really grow through this. Now that I said that, let me say, I have as much confidence that I can in a human being that people like the cooks and the custers have that in them, they know that, and that's why they are so strong at this time in the midst of such a need. All right, here's my second question. What are some biblical examples of intercessors? And those of you that are writing that, I put the word some in there because I'm not doing an exhaustive study on this. It's not a theology book on intercessory prayer. But I'm going to give you some biblical examples. The other operative word would be the word examples. So what we're going to do, and I'm going to give you the name of the person, a little bit of the background and the passage, and do your own study on that. But I wanted you to see that these are real people that prayed to God, Jehovah, on behalf of other people when those people and themselves often were going through the same dilemma. So these are some examples of intercessors. Let me give you just a few from the Old Testament. The first one would be Moses. Now, there's a plethora of illustrations of Moses talking to God on behalf of the Israelites. 
But one passage would be Exodus 32, verses 11 through 13. And this is at the time that the Lord had just finished with his finger writing the commandments on the tablets. That was happening up on top of the mount. What was happening below in the camp, the Israelites felt like Moses was gone too long. They made up some perhaps excuses that he's not coming back, so we need to create our own religion. So they asked Aaron to put together uh, a golden calf based on the earrings and the jewelry that the people had. So he did all of this. They were rising up to have this uh, orgastic worship thing that they were going on totally in rebellion against God of what God had done and said he would do for them. So now that's happening down below. Moses is up with the Lord and the Lord then begins to say what he was going to do to the children of Israel. And at that particular time, Moses then pleaded, interceded on the behalf of the Israelites to God. And through that powerful prayer and God's sovereignty for a picture for us today, it appears that God changed his mind. So I want you to know that Moses interceded for others. So in your life right now, maybe you know someone that's not going so much through the fire, but they're going through the fire of the consequences of sin and a life that is totally out of control, totally spiraling down that could lead them to such a devastation that their brain would be so blown that they would never be able to trust Christ without God healing a brain to be able to make the right choice to even understand all this stuff. They're spiraling down. Could you pray for them? I think the answer is yes. The second would be Joshua. Joshua in chapter 7, verses 6 through 9. Interestingly enough, Joshua has the same experience. What happens is they had their wonderful battle and victory at Jericho. They come back. They get together. They decide they're going to go fight the battle at Ai their way. They took less men. They didn't seek God. They didn't send in the, uh, uh, the trumpet with the priest. They did not send in the Ark of the Covenant. They didn't do any of that kind of stuff as they were going in. And what happened? While they were there... Another soldier stole some things that he should have left alone. And they came back, and there was a great devastation of the loss, the first battle of Ai. Joshua was so broken by that in his intercessory prayer, he was talking to God when he was flat on his face on the ground. He was so much in humility and brokenness for what has happened to the very people that he is supposed to lead. He looks up at God, and he's broken, and he's praying confessing their sin and their helplessness and need for God. And God says, and I love this, he says, up, get you off your face. In other words, get out of the dirt, stand up, let's get this thing right. And then God took over and they humbled themselves and there was victory. The next is King Jehoshaphat in Second Chronicles 20, verses 5 through 13. This is a little different. In this passage of Second Chronicles 20, verses 5 through 13, there was an invading army that was coming against them. And as that invading army was coming against Judah, they saw all the enemies there. And so he prayed. And so perhaps for you, you're sensing an oppression of Satan. The world is knocking at your door. There are things that are happening that are coming against you. It's not that you're living in sin, but the enemy is knocking there. I don't know what that enemy is, and I don't want to get too rhetorical on this thing, but you know that it is not of God in a sense, although God is in control of everything. It's coming at you from Satan. And it's at that time you might want to pray for your children going off to college, your family, the people you love, the people you know, you lift them up now in prayer and notice the great victory. King Hezekiah, along with the prophet Isaiah in Second Chronicles 32.20, same issue, invading army, they prayed, God worked, but it was an intercessory prayer on behalf of others. Now let me pause before I give you the next one. What was interesting about just those two, and I'm only giving you those two, Joshua, 
or Jehoshaphat rather, and Hezekiah, those two, is this. The enemy was coming against them too. It was like a solidarity when it says they came against Jehoshaphat. Well, it wasn't all these thousands of enemies coming against one man, although they would want to bring down the king because then the rest of the people go with him. But the point is, came against the king because he represented everybody else and they were coming against everybody else to wipe them all out. It was a solidarity. So just for a moment, I want you to think of the solidarity that we have with the Custers. Their loss of home is if we lost our home. So if anybody's coming against the people that you love so much, they're talking about enemies now, invading. For that moment, they're coming against you. So you together, the stronger one, the more knowledgeable one, take them to the Lord. The next is, is Daniel. Now Daniel was an interesting one because Daniel in chapter 9 verses 3 through 19, it says in this passage he confessed the sins of Israel but he did something that wasn't as clearly found in the other examples, and that was this. And I think this is incredibly important, so don't miss this. And here it is. He confessed his own sin and the sin of the children of Israel. Now that is an entire sermon I'm going to give later on, but if we are going to go on behalf of other people, we just can't diddly-bop through life with our own little life and our own little compromises, and somebody else has a big problem, and all of a sudden we're spiritual because we're going to go pray for them. When in reality, their problem that we have been made aware of and that we now say we want to own that too, if we are, and we really mean it, then we want to make sure that we are on all eight spiritual cylinders before God and allow that as another teachable moment to get right with God for ourselves. Because maybe in the answering of that prayer, God is going to want, watch, this is heavy, maybe he wants us to go back to those people to share a word with them or do something. But if our life has been so compromised, so we prayed, first we won't have the power. Secondly, what will happen, those people won't trust us because they see us as hypocrites anyway. And thus the whole card castle of this prayer thing falls apart because it's not built upon a biblical premise of being holy and getting that right as we take others to the Lord as well. Now, I have two more. One would be Jesus Christ and the other is going to be the Apostle Paul as examples of intercessory prayer. Now, I'm not going to give you those today. I will give you those tomorrow or next Sunday. The reason I'm hesitating is because when I open up Christ, I'm going to take you through a number of prayers that pr Christ prayed on the behalf of others. And watch this. How that his intercessory ministry of prayer is so vitally connected to our eternal life as a Christian and giving us all that we need that's necessary for us to be a prayer warrior. I wanted you to see that in the life of Christ. So I'm going to do a little bit of a study on Christ and his prayers and what that means. At the same time, I'm going to show you the intercessory prayer of the Holy Spirit and Christ and God, the triune God, all in this experience of intercessory prayer. And I want to do that. Now, some of you that are so new to all of this, you said, man, I just wanted to come to church and get a feel-good message. I want to come to church and learn how to get out of debt and how to raise my kids or all this. That is great. And I, I want you to know I started that way too. And I'm glad that you're here. You're in the right place for that. But the difference here is that we want to build the foundation of truth so that when we get to all of that stuff, it's going to be not just wow, it's going to be now I understand how this works because sometimes we're going to go absolutely against the philosophy of the world and it's going to be so odd and you won't be able to accept it unless you know the underpinning of what this is all about. So that's why we're going a little bit deeper. Are you glad you're here today? And I know that uh, there's more to come. There's still more to be written yet. 
but I am so sensing God's um, prompting of me doing this for all of us so that we would be a church that's really built on the foundation of prayer. Now, for those of you that want to say, where would I begin at least until next week? Well, let me divide you into two groups right now. Not right hand, left hand, not male and female. I want to divide you in two groups. The first group would be for those that are not absolutely certain of going to heaven when they die. God understands that you're so kind of new. You might have some ancillary understanding of the Bible and things about God and maybe even prayer. But he wants to make this crystal clear. He says you need to know that you're a sinner by nature and choice. Which means you're already separated from me. And next week we're going to talk about what it means to draw near to God even in intercession. But let's go back to this. That you are far from God. No amount of good works will get you closer to God. In fact, your good works, even the best of them, are filthy rags in the sight of God. So in that condition, and I know you didn't come to hear that either, but in order for you to take the antidote to that, I need to let you know the seriousness of it, of your problem. So yes, you're a sinner. I'm a sinner too. I, 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 I live my life by wrong choices. But God says I'm a sinner and you're a sinner. Now, there is a difference. At this point in my life, for the rest of my life, my sins are paid for. I'm heaven bound. I know that I know that I'm going to heaven. And now I want to explain to you what the Orthodox Christian faith says about going to heaven. And it starts by saying, I'm a sinner. And that because I'm a sinner, I will never get into heaven. There is no middle ground. And I will spend eternity separated from God and a Christless eternity of damnation and condemnation forever and ever and ever. That's horrible to think about. But if you see how easy the antidote is to that, you can get past that. The Bible goes on to say that there's no amount of good works you can now do, religious or social. So you can try to crawl yourself out of that predicament, but there's nothing you can do. You're going to hear about that next week in a doctrinal way of intercession and how that fits in. So be here for that. But right now, you're a sinner, you're lost, you're doomed, no good works will get you into heaven. Now you might feel like, oh my goodness, it's, it's over for me. Now here's the antidote. The Bible says God loves you. And he proved his love to you by being Christ. And when Christ came to this earth as God, he lived a perfect sinless life. And then he took all your sin on himself. All the things you've ever done wrong, everything you will do wrong, because everything you did wrong now even was 2,000 years in the future from the time he was on the earth. So he already did that 2,000 years ago. That's done. So when Jesus died, all your sin was taken care of. That doesn't mean now sin's gone, you're heaven bound. It just means sin's gone. Now comes the easy part for you, hard part for God. The easy part is this. Jesus says, He that believes on me has everlasting life. The hard part was Jesus dying and paying for the sins and rising from the, from the grave. Now, hard in the sense of all that he did, that whole experience on the cross. Easy for us because all it is is to believe. Now, I'm not saying easy believism. And the reason I'm not saying that is because for some people to abandon what they used to believe, turning from that, that's real repentance, and thinking it was by good works and all of this other stuff, and only trusting in Christ, that could be the most difficult thing you do in all of Christianity as you begin. And God says it's by placing your faith alone in Christ. For some of you, that's all you need. Man, there's the door. I can get out of the burning building. Others of you say, I don't find out that door. That's too easy. Can't, gotta be hard. I've got to do something to get it. I've got to do some work. I've got to help put the fire out, whatever. And God says, no, 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 no. You've got to be like a drowning swimmer and allow the lifeguard to take you in. That's faith in the person and the work of Christ. So it is easy, but it could be hard. Now, how do you do all of that? Now, is it a prayer? Is it not a prayer? A lot of debate. 
It is a mental transaction where you are communing with the Lord and in some measure you are communicating this fact that you are a sinner hopelessly lost but Jesus Christ is your Savior and you are now placing your faith in Christ. Can you call upon Him to do that? Yes. Do you have to ask Him to do that? No. Do you have to plead with Him to do that? No. But you do have to place your faith. It's more than just knowing that you're a sinner, knowing it's by faith. It's now placing your faith in Christ. It's that next step of trust. And then you have everlasting life. I pray that you do that. That's for that half of you that right now need to be a part of God's forever family. And I want to tell you this very seriously. You will not fully comprehend what I'll be teaching in the weeks to come unless you do know Christ as your Savior. Because you get with salvation not only heaven and a relationship with Christ, but you get the Holy Spirit to help you understand Scripture and to connect you better. Now the second of you, the rest of us, your prayer for this week could be very well. Continue praying as the best you know how to do it in your humility to the Lord. Do not stop praying. In fact, I pray that you'll crank it up. Turn up the volume in your prayer if you know what I mean by that. Secondly, I pray that you would pray for yourself and say, Lord, I'm at a point in my life I need to learn how to pray more effectively. I want to pray more biblically. I want to pray your way. So, Lord, would you help Pastor Stan and those that will be helping me understand about prayer. And then help me to listen to what he says, but let me do my own study and let me own this for myself. So, Lord, teach me so I would be the kind of prayer person you want me to be. Listen carefully and you'll hear this every week. Prayer is not asking and receiving. Prayer is building a relationship with the Lord by communicating with Him. And so we're going to show you how to do that and how to do that on the behalf of others. Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed. Now you can pray with your eyes wide open. But the reason, I guess, families did this so many years ago, bowing your head, sign of humility, closing your eyes, free of distractions, maybe even putting your hands together for children so that they don't fidget. But the real point is this, is that you would have undistracted, focused attention on communing with God. So do whatever works for you, as long as it's that. Now for those of you that are on the first group, now would be a great time for you to call upon the name of the Lord, to place your faith alone in Jesus Christ. If you sin afterwards, God will discipline you, but you will not lose it. We'll talk about that next week, how intercession even fits into that. But right now, though, will you call upon the Lord to be your forever Savior? Will you trust in Him, however you want to say it? Not your works, not your faith and works, but your faith in Jesus Christ. Would you do that right now? I don't know when you're going to breathe your last breath or when your heart's going to beat its last beat. So do it while you're alert. And the sooner you do it, honestly, it's like being born again. Now you really begin to be alive. And Scripture talks about that too. You really now begin to live. Don't waste another moment of really living. So get born again. Trust Christ as your Savior right now. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, is there anyone here that in your own way, silently between you... And God the Father and God the Son, you're communicating with Him through the Spirit. You're trusting Christ and you'd like for me to pray for you. Is there anyone at all? My praying for you won't get you to heaven. I'm going to have you raise your hand. That won't get you to heaven. I won't have you walk an aisle. That won't get you to heaven. But trusting Christ will. But you're just letting me know you're doing it in here. Would you slip up your hand? Is there anyone at all? Okay, Christians. I'm just going to believe that in your own heart you want to develop a stronger, more healthier prayer life. And now you and the Lord through his word can work that out as I close in prayer we're going to begin a communion part of our service
It will not be long, but it will be meaningful. And I couldn't think of a better thing to do on the launching of a prayer time because as we now take the elements, as it represents the body and the blood of Christ, it's really representing the whole personhood of Christ and what he's done for us on the cross. And intercession is so much a part of that. So would you now prepare your hearts for this time of communion. Our gracious Heavenly Father, as we remember your death until you come again, this is something you've told us to do. So we're doing it in obedience. Now, Father, it's not just eating crackers and drinking juice. It's remembering these elements. It's remembering what they stand for. It's remembering you. It's remembering all of that that brought you to the cross. All of us and our sin that brought you to the cross. And then, Father, we do it in right relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we do it, Father, cleanly. Not to be saved, but because we are. Now, Father, thank you for this wonderful way to remember you. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Joe Pons, and I want to thank you for listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Clarity Christian College. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It's the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. That's makeitclear.org. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please email us at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. That's tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear.